Amen. You may be seated. Do you guys notice? There's a girl playing the bass, huh? That's pretty good. And I got to tell you, when Janet sings, that's beautiful. I uh, was at my office the other day and just needed a little break, so I walked around the block and ran into Janet. She said, did you know this was my mom's house? I go, I had no clue. And I was able to hopefully give you encouraging words and hopefully could speak into your life. But we do serve a great and mighty God. Amen? That was almost a clap. It was on its way. <laughs> and he did lay down his life for each and every one of us. Which doesn't surprise me for you. You're good people. But for me, I know the evil in my heart. And I know how I can go my way so easily. That amazes me. And that is amazing grace. Now we've been in the book of Proverbs over these last few weeks. And Proverbs really teaches us how to live, more importantly, how to live a wise life, to help us to see people, events, and situations as God sees them. Most Proverbs are short, compact statements that express truth about human behavior. And as my professor in Bible school taught me that Proverbs are full of pithy, terse, and axiomatic statements. Amen? Now, I think you should be amazed at that. Not so much I said those words that I remembered something from college, so that was good. Um, but Proverbs does teach us how to gain knowledge, to apply that knowledge in our lives, and how to share wisdom we gain from others. And we've seen this demonstrated in a lot of the sermons lately. You know, like, I, I think uh, about a month ago, Nick got up and was teaching on how to discipline your children. I thought he did a great job, but, you know, I asked him later, is that, you know, he, how was it received? And he said, you know, the funny thing is, the older people are the ones who are coming up and saying, good job. You know, and I remember when I was a young person, somebody told me how to do anything. I really wasn't ready for that. But I remember him taking his kid over right there at that chair, and he was going to show us how to properly spank his children, you know, and I go, well, that takes some guts anyway, but he got the paddle out, and he said, you take quick, short, but his kid bent over his knee, and he went at it, and that kid said, oh, please, sir, I'd like some more. I thought that was hilarious, so he did a good job with that. Then last week, he spoke on who you're partnering up with, and then Mike spoke, and I wish you could know Mike. He's just this big guy that gets up and speaks, and a lot of you don't know him. But this is a guy who has his own ministry about men and how to minister and truly trying to minister with men. He takes, he takes on issues such as human trafficking, and he's doing things about it, you know, and going to other countries. He's a phenomenal guy. But I remember him as he got up and he was speaking on uh, true worship or worship to God. And then he would fall down on his knees and then he'd get up seamlessly, and he did it like 14 times. Now, I'm going to tell you this about me. You're going to have to decide right now, do you want me up or do you want me down? Because I ain't doing both, man. We ain't got that kind of time. But I remember there was a day I could. And Bill, sharing from Proverbs, and I, I think Bill is the most amazing of all. Because Bill lives 
Proverbs. Every day he gets up and reads a proverb. You know, for maybe 30 years? I, I, I don't know, but he would, there's 30 chapters and he would take the chapter of the day it is and he would read it and does read it. I think that's amazing, that kind of wisdom. But today we're going to talk about a subject that isn't as cool, maybe. And I think the group all got together and, hey, you'll take wisdom and, and this one will take worship and you take this. And they gave me, how about Bob do scoffing? And first of all, scoffing's not a real word we use anymore, is it? Not very often. It's like, you know, I don't stand there and go, you're a scoffer. And you go, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. You know, we really don't even know the, the true meaning. And today, I hope you can walk away having an inkling of what, what the word is saying about scoffing. Um, like I said, this book is, gives us information on how to be wise. It also gives us warnings about being a foolish and about being a scoffer. The word scoffer is translated as one who mocks ridicules, or scorns. In Hebrew, the word can also be translated as ambassador. He not only disagrees with an idea, but he will become an ambassador for the opposing thought. Scoffing is an attitude of the heart, someone who is rebellious in all of his action. He won't listen to directions. We see the scoffers today in the political arena. You know, it's easy for an opposing view to come up as someone to mock that or to, just to scoff it and to not only do they scoff it, they will destroy the person who's saying that. You see that in Facebook. If any of you use that, it's like, I quit doing anything of any sort of my opinion because when someone gets a hold of that, they will destroy you. They will make sure that theirs is the only right idea, and you're, you're kind of dumb for even thinking that. You know, that's why, you know, about three years ago, I don't know how many long ago, I started with this thought, I'm not going to use Facebook for my political thing, not even my religious thing. I figured, who's going to care if all I use it is for funny? So I started using jokes, and I quit getting criticism. But that doesn't really get us anywhere, does it? It makes us feel good. But I want us not, as believers, I want us to uh, really get this thing about being respectful to one another when someone has an opposing idea. Now, if you would turn with me to the book of Psalms in the first chapter, 1 through 3. But we saw this idea of scoffing, really, who's the best scoffer in the world? It's this, is the devil. You know, and he came up to Eve when they were in the garden, him and Adam, and they were just having the best time with each other and with God, and there were no problems. But then the devil comes in and put a knot in everything. You know, he says, you were told, why aren't you eating of this tree? It looks good. And she says, because we'll die. And, and here's, what the, what, here's what Satan really did say. Oh, you surely will not die. Well, as a matter of fact, it will give you wisdom beyond anything you have. You will be like him. And he mocked the word of God, and God set this protection up for us, and then he mocked us. You see what I'm saying? And so we want to look at this word pretty carefully, and we'll look in Psalms, and it says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk 
nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. And we can see in this first chapter, and the first verse there, that if you're, if you're not doing these things, if you're not sitting down with scoffers, if you're not walking with sinners or standing with sinners, you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to be blessed. And another word for blessed is you're going to be happy. And some of you are kind of wondering, where, where is this happiness that everybody talks about? Because I don't feel very happy. And a lot of times, I don't feel happy. And it really comes down to not scoffing at what the Bible's saying, but believing it, taking it in and just knowing that God loves you and quit the stinking thinking and you'll be fine. But a scoffer doesn't want you to. He doesn't want this wisdom that comes from God. He wants to destroy you. You understand what I'm saying? And that's hard to imagine. You're such nice people. Why would anybody want to destroy you? I, I kind of question that, but I know Satan, I've observed him, he wants to destroy you. And so he'll twist the word up. He'll mess it up. He'll get your thinking wrong. Well, let's not do that. Let's sit in the right place. We want to sit not with scoffers, but with the Lord. Amen? And how do we do that? I look at this word scoffer, and it was almost confusing until I broke it down. And those who do find the right seed, they embrace wisdom. They embrace wisdom. Wisdom comes from one place, God. It's when we ignore his word and go our own way in life that we have problems. At least that's what happens in my life. I know the right things to do, but then when I choose to ignore it, I, 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 there's no recovery from that. Proverbs 14.6 says, He seeks wisdom, but his attitude forbids him ever finding it. And so we can see that scoffing is more than just disobedience, more than foolish behavior. It's an attitude. And we hope, you know, I'm looking at going, I don't want to have that attitude. But the truth is, I have had that attitude. Truth is, I've been rather foolish in some of my actions. You know, I'll give you one example, and then I'll let you line up and give the other examples. But my example would be back when I was in high school. I was, I think I was a senior that year, and five of us got together, I think we were shooting hoops or doing something, and we started talking about what we we're going to do that night and, you know, the things, the possibilities. And, and we started talking about what we had just seen. And what we had just seen was Evil Knievel, you know. And Evil Knievel, if you never got a choice, chance to see him, he was awesome. You know, he was, you, the word daredevil doesn't even begin to talk about what Evil Knievel would do. It was at a racetrack, and I remember being against the fence there and watching him in amazement at 95 miles an hour. He would stand on his seat, pop a wheelie, and ride it on down to the end of the drag strip. I couldn't believe it. I was so impressed. And he would go back and forth doing these crazy things like that. But at the end, the crescendo is there's when there were two buses lined up end to end with ramps going up, and he was going to jump these buses. And I couldn't wait to see that. And as he would ride his bike to the top of that ramp, he'd always do this. He'd always stop. 
and survey the scene or maybe make an entrance. I don't know. But he looked at it, he backed up, and then he gunned it, and he flew over those buses onto the other ramp just as smooth as can be. And we were duly impressed. So much, it became a part of our conversation. And we began to think, well, we could do that, right? Well, one of the guys there, Ross, and his dad was a cop. I didn't say that last time, but his dad was out of town, and he left his brand-new Bronco at home. And Ross took it upon himself to drive it. And he said, well, we could do that in, our, in my Bronco. We can go do some four-wheel flies. You know, that's even better than a motorcycle, isn't it? So we all piled into this little Bronco. You know, two in front and this other guy in front, two big guys side by side beside me, and I was crunched in the middle there, and we were going to do four-wheel flying. And we got to a field, and we, we started just kind of poking around until we found the perfect place. It went down, and then it came up, and we said, that's our place. And so we, I held on to what I could. I guess I wouldn't hold him down to them. And he took off so fast down that and came up the other side, and I felt the, the Bronco take air. There was nothing underneath us. It was smooth sailing as we flew in the air, maybe a foot. But we, we were flying in the air. But then it came down, because what goes up comes down, and it came down hard, because every one of us were pretty big guys. It came down, go boom, and you heard it bottoming out on the on suspension. And we, we should have known then, it says, this may not be a great idea. You know, maybe somebody should have had some wisdom. But we said this do it again. And so, you know, he found another hill, and we went up. This time, we flew a little higher, and my stomach would just kind of go up and then come down, and then as we hit, everything hurt. But it would be that, and we would go until he got to the very top of the biggest hill there in Denver. Uh, it's one of the bigger ones there, and we were just talking, and then we said, let's go do it again. And he took off from the top of that hill as fast as it could go, and we were moving. And somehow he lost control. That Jeep, that Bronco, took off sideways. And if you know anything about whatever that would be, would that be uh, genetic? No, not genetics, <laughs> but about, oh, thank you, physics. It doesn't work that way. It, something's got to give. And it was the Jeep. And the Jeep started rolling. And it finally came to rest. And I thought, we just rolled this Jeep. And I never even felt it. Because I was beside two big people, remember that? And I had this cushiony ride, you know, as we're going over. But it was amazing to me how you can gain wisdom so quickly. <laughs> he was so full of wisdom. He got out of that Jeep and said, I wrecked my dad's Bronco. I never should have taken my dad's Bronco. Yeah, we should have known that at the start, but we don't always do the smartest thing in the world, do we? Sometimes I've been in a lot of Broncos, so to speak. And afterwards I thought, I never should have done this. I never should be here. It had devastating results. You know, I remember Ross driving home with that Bronco and the bottom of that Bronco was as straight as can be. The top went like this. And I said, oh, man, he's in trouble. And he got home, and then he joined the Marines, and I never saw him again. <laughs> I'm older now. 
surprising, I got older, but I really do seek wisdom first. You know, there's a part of me that I'm not going to go four-wheel flying anymore because I know it hurts, you know, and I don't want to get hurt anymore, but there's a part that knows I need to be respectful of other people's stuff. And that might come with time, but I, I think a scoffer, we just didn't hear any of it. Where do you get wisdom? In God's Word. That's where you get it. Always in God's Word. It says this. Um, get talking faster in my notes. Know that God is the source for all wisdom. The Bible plainly states, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. That's in Proverbs 2.6. It warns there is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. Proverbs 21.30. In other words, if worldly wisdom contradicts or go against God, it is false wisdom. Only God's wisdom stands. Okay, I'll say it again. Only God's wisdom stands. You also know that God reveals his wisdom by his spirit through his word through his spirit, through his words. God's wisdom comes directly from God and is revealed in his word. It especially centers on the knowledge of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that's in Colossians. God reveals his wisdom by the Holy Spirit to those who are spiritual. And that's 1 Corinthians. That wisdom has to do with knowing how to apply biblical truth to a particular situation in life. Now, I've got to ask you, are you seeking out wisdom? You know, Solomon could have anything he wanted. What did he ask for? Wisdom. And that's really where I'm at now. You know, as I, as I turn 60, sorry, that's a lot of years. So I require and I request wisdom, and only God provides real wisdom. Second, we want to be... Sitting in the right place, we need to remain humble. Remain humble. Um, a scoffer doesn't listen to anyone. He has a disdain for anyone that's trying to correct him. We have problems when we don't listen to God. Proverbs 9, 7 says, instead of accepting reproof, he seeks, he seeks to... Re it's easy for you to say. He seeks to shame the reprover. He hates the one who reproves him. Now, it might surprise you to know as a youth minister, which I was for a lot, a lot of years, I've had plenty of kids who didn't listen to me, that dis disrespected me, and they actually would be pretty bold in their scoffing. And as I mention your name, please stand up. <laughs> but this story is about one of my best kids. You know, and his parents come here, by the way. It's uh, Gene and Kathy Billingsley. But Ricky was always a good kid, you know. From the moment I saw him, he just wanted to get involved. He wanted to do well. And, you know, like when I brought a set of drums up to the church, and he goes, what are you going to do with those, Bob? And I said, well, I was thinking about having played. And he says, do you have a drummer? I'll be your drummer. That guy kid didn't know anything about drumming. But he was willing to try. And he got pretty good at the end there. But he never talked back. He never was disrespectful except for one day. And I remember that day very well because we were going on a trip. We were going up to Pierce, South Dakota from Rapid City. And I could just, 
I could vision myself with these 12, 13 kids with me, and Ricky was right behind my seat. And like I said, Ricky's a very polite kid, doesn't do anything usually. But this day, he really bugged me, okay? And you would have been bugged too, so don't look at me that way. He was like, it was sitting there, and all of a sudden, he gets this thing in him where he wants to sing a song, which might have been okay if it was a short song, but this song has 633 verses in it. This is Bye Bye Miss American Pie. You ever hear it? Yeah, you have. And you can say this. It's a good song, but it's a long song. I think it's uh, like minutes it consumes is 20. I don't know. But it really goes on and on. And Ricky, bless his heart, isn't a good singer. Okay? You'll see in a second, I'm not either. That's the thing, same thing we shared together. And, oh, by the way, I did share this when I was in India, and Ricky was in India with me, and I was sharing the same story. And I told those kids that Ricky was not a good singer, and afterwards Ricky sang, and they you're a good singer, Ricky. And I go, you guys, you know, quit doing that to him. You know, but Ricky, he started singing. Long, long time ago. And he went on. And he went on. And he went on. Oh, he went on. And I said, oh, that's good, Ricky, now stop. You know, I really wanted him to quit. But he was only on the 40th first, and there's a lot more to go. And so he kept on singing. And I said, in my best polite pastoral role, I said, hey, Ricky, shut up. You know, that type of thing. And, but Ricky didn't. I said, don't, don't, Ricky. You do not want me to pull this van over. All the kids are laughing. He's not laughing. He's singing. And so I, we were going to Pierce, South Dakota. Do you know between Wall and Pierce, there's nothing. There is nothing. There's a couple like Bidlin and Philip and all that, but really, there, there's nothing there. And so in the middle of nowhere, I just stopped. I got out, went to the passenger door, opened it up and said, Ricky, come here. I had at the finger. And Ricky goes, he just kept singing. I, I couldn't believe it. He kept singing. So I said, Ricky, come here. And then Theo, one of my other kids in my youth group, he grabs him, drags him over, and the two of us took him outside. And we beat, no, we didn't beat him. We, we, we rubbed snow in his face, man. And he go, I'll knock it off. And then it dawned on me, these guys are outside. I'm going to run in the van and leave him. And that's exactly what I did. I left him in the middle of nowhere, went about a mile or two down the road, and stopped. And the kids go, are you going back to, to Ver Ricky? And I said, I'm thinking about it. I don't know yet. And so, you know, I was sitting there, and the car was about to come by. Well, this state convention I was going to involved my, my students, but it also involved the adults. They had adult things going on. So Kathy and Jean were driving up shortly after we were. As a matter of fact, I was sitting there. Gene comes on by. He's just driving away. And I guess I wasn't in that car, but I guess as he was driving, he turned to Kathy and said, you know, that looked a lot like Ricky. <laughs> they went on, and we picked him up, and I don't think he ever sang again. So that was that. But isn't that funny how that, that is about disrespecting me? It was funny, but it was, how do you deal with things like that? And really, I don't want to ever harm one of my kids. I don't want to harm any of you. So how do I stay humble 
as God wants me to. In the midst of traffic, in the midst of uh, kids, your husband or wife, and you're getting all... And I really think that one of the keys is to stay humble. Now, a humble pe- a person, humble people are teachable, okay? Wisdom, instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. And I can do a lot of different things to try to remain calm, but if I have a teachable spirit, and there are times I don't have a teachable spirit, but I can learn a lot from my students. You know, I remember one of my students just, we had gone off, I was doing these things called, uh, oh, I forget, balloons and more, that's what I called it, and kids would go into it and do it, and this little girl did something I could have never have done at that time, and that's when the handicapped people came in, and she grabbed the hand of this guy who was all excited and says, come on, Michael, let's go play. I, I thought that was awesome. And I could have learned something there, you know? I can learn from my wife. I can learn from my kids. I can learn from people around me. Wisdom, you don't know where it's going to show up, okay? So keep this teachable spirit by being humble. Humble people are respectful people. That's second. And 1 Peter 3.16 was one of, you go to Bible college, and the first thing they did was, give you a scripture that you had to memorize. And I remember trying to memorize this, and but it kind of stuck, but it didn't. But it was this. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give it an answer for the reason that you believe. But do this with gentleness and respect. Okay? And I was ready to give a defense for what I believed. And I would do it at work. And I would pound my fist down and say, this is the way it is. And that's a silly way. That isn't the way God does things. He wants us to do it humbly. This isn't a thing that we can come in. His kingdom isn't something that's built by power or might. It's done by emptying yourself and become humble into the obedience of Christ. That's when Christ was at the, was being arrested for doing what? Really, what did Christ do that they arrested him? Put children on his lap and said, such is the kingdom as this. Healed people. Brought life into dead religion. And for that, they wanted to crucify him. Right? I don't remember where I was going with that. That was a good sermon. That was free, I guess. Oh, I know where he's going. You got to stay humble. You know, what, what did Peter do? First thing, he grabbed his sword and whacked that guy's ear off. Man, go Peter. But you know what Jesus did? He says, we're not doing it this way. That's not what my kingdom's about. He went and picked up that ear. Hello? No. He, and he, <laughs> he placed it on that, that's, that's soldier's, and he healed him completely. That's what we're to do. Humility. Okay? Respectfully. That's our ministry. Okay? We don't have to overtake anybody. We have to do it with that. Humble people put God first. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his way. He guides the humble in what is right 
and teaches them his ways. That's the book of Psalms 25. Put God first in everything you do. Put God first in your marriage. Put God first with your children. Put God first in your job. Put God first in everything. And you're going to find that he has the answer to things. He can get you through anything. He's the one who brings life, right? So what I want to do, I don't want to place God. Now, I want you to go over here, God, because I'm going to get angry for a second at my kids. No, he doesn't do that. He says, I want to be there. I want to, be, I want to teach you. I want to hone in you. I want to make you more like me. But that's difficult for us. Okay? So the, I think one of the biggest things is to seek wisdom, always be searching for wisdom, and then to be humble, and finally, to trust God in all you do. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. And that will carry you through on so many situations. Why do we have to do it on our own? Why do we insist that, hey, this is my problem, I'm going to handle this my way, when usually turns out disastrous. Now, I was at a ministry before this that uh, for quite a while, and for 10 years, I knew what God wanted. I knew it, but I wouldn't do it. I knew of all the things that he wanted. It wasn't to go save this. It wasn't to do this. It wasn't, it wasn't a very easy thing. He wanted me to resign. That's it. He wanted me to resign because he knew it was an unhealthy situation. He knew it wasn't good for me. But I didn't resign. Oh, I had a lot of good, noble reasons. I could say, look at the fruit of my ministry. Look at uh, my kids that are in there. And we had tons of kids go off to Bible college, and we had all these things. And we th I thought, well, he can't want me to resign because I'm doing some good things. But I'm going to tell you right now that no place for a youth minister when he opposes the senior minister. I needed to resign. I needed to resign. But here's what stopped me. It wasn't the good I was doing. It wasn't a noble reason that I didn't want to resign. The reason I didn't want to resign is because I was making a lot of money. That's it. I thought, I really got confused. Who was my provider? Who gave me all this? Who made sure I had the rent money? Who made sure that I had a car payment? Who made sure that I took care of my kids? It was God himself. I got it confused. I really thought it was the church. Well, they're the ones that handed me my check. So I didn't resign because of lack of trust. And that's the only reason. So if I try to tell you different, you stop me. You say, it was about trust, Bob. Now I know. Now I can accept that. Can you? When you really want to do something, and he says no, can you trust that answer? Because we think if it's not good for us, that means it's not good. But God is always good. Say amen. God is always good. And if he tells me no, I should trust that that's the best thing for me and that he will provide. It's Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. And that's where I want to keep that. Look at a few scriptures. As a matter of putting my trust in the wrong places, John 
14.1 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Romans 15.13, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, you know, the more I read about scoffers, the more I realize I can become one very easily. And by the way, so can, so can you. Or it wouldn't even be in the Bible. Why would they even mention it if it was just me? We end up scoffing, and the scoffing might look like, I didn't listen to God. Isn't that kind of scoffing? And what he said, I knew what to do. So listen to God. Hear his voice. And that's a little dicey for some of us because we don't recognize his voice yet. But you will. You will. That urging of the Holy Spirit, it's for your good. Trust in him. Let's stand together as I pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I pray a prayer of thanksgiving that you are such a good God. God, you sent your son just to die on my behalf. That doesn't make a bit of sense to me, but God, but just so is how good you are. God, help these people as uh, we deal with things in our life like scoffing and, and dishonoring and, you know, mocking and all the things that's in here. We don't want to be that. We want to be yours. And we give you our lives and we give you this church. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.